Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Monday morning uh, to you and can, as we welcome you along to Cork today, can I say a big thank you to John Paul who sat in while I was on my holidays for the last uh, two weeks and did really well uh, taking over the programme. So thanks to John Paul who's back now today along with Sadie taking your calls at 1850 You can text or WhatsApp the programme at 0862103103. And I want to just start the programme uh, by passing on on behalf of all of us here that work on the programme our deepest deepest sympathies to the family of Kevin Conway Kevin a former independent councillor from Blarney sadly passed away at Cork University Hospital on a Saturday after a very brave fight after a very long long uh, illness he'd been battling multiple myeloma in recent years and he actually underwent a stem cell transplant that was about uh, six years ago Kevin was a community activist for more than 30 years he served as chair chairperson of Blarney Community Council and he's been praised by many for his role in developing tourism in the Blarney area and I saw the Mayor of Cork County Independent Councillor Mary Lenehan Foley actually describing Kevin as one of life's uh, gentlemen and she you know spoke about him not just being a colleague but also being a friend and they were actually elected at the same time and became very close friends in County Hall and a number of other uh, councillors also in remembering Kevin Kevin Conway describing him as one of life's great, great uh, gentlemen. And he is survived by his wife, uh, Burr, four children, Mary, Kevin, Carol and Cormac. And his dear mother, Mary, uh, is uh, he's also survived by Mary. So we pass on our deepest, deepest sympathies there, a family uh, really grieving the loss of a great son husband and uh, father and we actually spoke with Kevin here on the programme uh, it was at the kind of the start of the pandemic I can't remember what the topic was he joined us about a, a, a council related topic or a community topic uh, and it led to him talking about the fact that he was in hospital during you know with at a time of COVID-19 and you know he went on to talk about how great the hospital were and had nothing but praise for the staff of uh, CUH and actually the family have asked that donations and newer flowers be made to the CUH uh, charity and an online book of condolences will be available from today.
today on yourcouncil.ie uh, website. So we remember uh, the late Kevin Conway. May he rest in uh, peace. Now, as I say, John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls today. If there's anything you want to uh, share with uh, us We'd love to hear from you. And I have been off for the last two weeks and I know listening to Simon this morning, he hates the word staycation, but it's the word that we're all using because, you know, normally I would always, I have for the last number of years gone away, gone overseas and I've always felt that by leaving our shores and getting away, you sort of give yourself a good break because you sort of cut yourself off from as best you can from everything that's going on from home. And I have to say that was the one side of my staycation. I don't know if I completely switched off. I don't I don't think there was a day in the two weeks that was off that I didn't get to see the six o'clock news because even on the we were away in hotels for the first week we were in West Cork and then we were back on the weekend and then we were away the second week in up in Galway and, and around the Connemara area. Um, and I always managed to be back in the hotel room at six o'clock any evening to see the news. So I can't say I switched off completely from what was going on. Uh, so that's one of the sides to staycations that I think while I still had a lovely break, I was very much alert. To, and I suppose with we are living through a pandemic and you are every day wondering what the figures were going to be like. So whether you're in holidays or not, I think you very much keep an eye uh, on that. But then just talking about staycationing and all that, I really, I mean, I absolutely loved my two weeks off and it was great to get a break and all of that. But the downside I would have to say, the weather in this country can certainly leave you down. It is really difficult to plan any sort of an outdoor activity. You're constantly watching what the weather forecast is going to be like and then on a day when you'd hoped to do something, bucketing out of the heavens and that had to be cancelled and you had to come up with something else uh, to do as well. So certainly that's one of the real uh, downsides uh, to it. Another I would say on a downside and this is to do with the pandemic if you're staying in hotels or you're going away, if you're going away in a self-catering holiday, if you're in a caravan park and you want to go out for food, having to book your meals and your time slots became a little bit annoying, I have, I have to say. For example, in the, both hotels where we stayed a week beforehand, we got a phone call to say, you know, what time do you want breakfast? And that's fair enough. So we'd booked our time slots uh, for breakfast. And then we tried to sort of go on the huff for lunchtime and just wherever we were, let's see if we can get lunch somewhere. We, we, we did reasonably OK uh, with lunch, but the dinner certainly became an issue with all of the restaurants. You needed to book your time slot for your, for your dinner. And I noticed in every single restaurant I was in you could see people coming into the restaurant you know, any chance of a table for two any chance of a table for four no hope were completely booked there might have been an odd chance of a couple getting in if somebody had left their table early and they were able to squeeze in another another setting before the kitchen closed but therefore you, you constantly needed to have where you were going to want to eat, see if you could get the booking and then I felt you almost spent a lot of the day watching your clock because you were thinking, OK, we've dinner booked for eight. If you ended up having a late lunch somewhere, like I remember on one of the days we ended up, because you're away in hotels, you have a tendency to have a much bigger breakfast than you would normally have at home. So you're not as hungry at the traditional, say, one o'clock lunchtime. And there was one day, wherever we were, we were late having lunch. And I realised we were getting up from lunch at about half four, twenty to five, thinking, oh my God, we've got dinner booked for eight o'clock. <laughs> you were straight to thinking I've got to eat, eat again. So that's the one, I would say, downside. And that's to do with the pandemic. That's nothing to do with holidaying, holidaying uh, in Ireland. But I have to say, everywhere we went, the hotels that we stayed in, in the restaurants that we ate out, um, everybody 
was abiding by the rules and the regulations and it felt very safe. I can't say that I was in any premises where I felt, no, this is a bit overcrowded or they're not abiding by the rules and uh, regulations. So that to me was a real plus to our staycation. And then we are blessed. We are absolutely blessed to live in such a beautiful country. It really is just glorious and when the sun did manage to shine and you got to see it in all of its splendour it it really was uh, fantastic. One of the highlights I would have to say from the Galway part of the trip was the Killery Fjord boat which I have to give credit to Catherine Thomas. I saw her TV programme a number of weeks ago, you know where she went around in a camper van with her daughter Ella and they were doing, they went to various parts of the country and she happened on her first programme to be in Galway and in around Connemara and she mentioned this fjord boat and it's the only fjord in Ireland. I didn't even know Ireland had a fjord and she had suggested this Killery fjord boat. It's in uh, uh, Linan in Connemara and I have to say, fingers crossed, we got a good day, we got a good dry day. Had we been booked the day before or the day after it would have been bucketing down and I don't know if it would have been the same experience. So that was uh, really, really uh, enjoyable. Just breathtaking scenery. It was almost like Jurassic World. I was waiting for a dinosaur head to pop up over one of the mountains. It it really was uh, lovely. And our first week we spent in West Cork and that's where when I say we're blessed to live in a beautiful country, we here in Cork are blessed to live in such a beautiful county as always. West Cork never ever leaves me down. I mean in the, some of the highlights from our uh, from our week in West Cork would have been uh, from a meal point of view Monks Lane in Timaleague top class food in the quirkiest of settings it really is just a glorious, glorious uh, restaurant. And then we had the most wonderful alfresco lunch in the uh, Celtic Ross Hotel in Roscarbury. Again, it was one of the days when the sun decided to shine for us and we managed to be able to eat outside. And there's, there's something about being on holidays and eating outside. You definitely feel you were on holidays when you managed to get a lovely meal. So well done to everybody at the Celtic Ross Hotel. And obviously we stayed in the uh, beautiful accommodation of the Inchidani Lodge and Spa. The staff always so friendly, always so helpful. The food there is always uh, divine. And I always say when I leave uh, the Inchidani Lodge and Spa, we will be back. And, uh, and that is an absolute promise. So it really was. It was terrific. And then... The one thing before I went away on my holidays, when I was talking to people about you know, the fact that we were doing a staycation, people were saying, oh, you know, what about the cost of holidaying uh, in, in Ireland? And everybody gives out about the cost of holidaying. And yes, the going on holidays in Ireland, it, it can be really, really expensive. But I think when, when I sat down and really thought about it, I mean, firstly, I'm very slow to blame the businesses because the cost of doing business in this country is much more expensive. We're a highly taxed country. And because the cost of doing business, for businesses just to make any kind of a profit, they have to charge what they feel is a reasonable amount in order to make uh, a profit. Is the price scorching going on? Absolutely, it is probably going on. I certainly didn't see much evidence of it. But the one thing I think that catches all of us when we are on holidays in this country, or even if you're dining out, it's the cost of alcohol. And of course, the cost of alcohol, that is directly linked to the amount of tax that we pay on holidays. And that's why it is impossible to compare like with like when people say, oh, you know, I went to Spain last year and it was only a fraction of the cost. You know, you could eat out and get a bottle of wine for three euro. Well, you're certainly not going to be eating 
eating out in, uh, eating out in Ireland and getting a bottle of wine for three euros. So it's the cost of alcohol that really brings up a lot of your the, when the bill arrives for if you have a boozy lunch or if you have a, a couple of drinks with your your meal. But certainly the food in this in this country is incredible. And if we have to pay a little bit extra for that, I think it's worth it because I just think we have, you know, we've got some of the most gorgeous restaurants in this country. So all in all, I had a really, really nice uh, break and I was very conscious of businesses who had been closed for so many months doing their very best with all of the rules and the regulations. They were limited to the number of people that they could have into the premises. And I think, you know, watching some of them, I'd say some of them were struggling to even break even, you know, let alone try to think and make make a profit. I think just to pay themselves and to pay them to pay their staff, they were doing well. So it is a very tricky time for the tourism uh, industry. And of course, very tricky time and a very difficult time for publicans at the moment and our so-called wet pubs are still uh, closed. Well, draft guidelines governing a potential reopening this month is making it clear that drinkers, that if you want to go out to drink in one of our wet pubs when they are open, you're going to have to make a decision. You're either going to have to book a table in advance, which I was just giving out about on the staycation because you need to know you need to be somewhere at a certain period of time. So there's going to be two ways of going out for a few drinks. You'll book your table in advance and get a time slot or you can do a walk-in but by doing that the publican is going to have to guarantee that you're separated by two metres. Some of these guidelines really are going to have to be, I don't know, they're going to have to be tweaked and whatever before we fully know how they're going to work. Now, Padraig Cribben is the Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland and that's the group that, rec- that represent all of the pubs around the country, not the pubs in Dublin. Porig says the guidelines as presented will be onerous for the members to implement, but he said at this stage, publicans are just simply desperate to open up their front doors and he says we'll find a way of making them work. He said right now what pubs need more than anything is clarity and certainty on when the pubs will be allowed to open. He said the guidelines are only useful when they get an opening date. He's also pointing out of course that Ireland is the last country in Europe where pubs still remain closed. He said Covid cases do occur in pubs just like any sectors of society but he said they're dealt with by closing the bar for a period of time. He says it's clear from European countries that sector-wide lockdowns are not required. He said we need to learn to live alongside the virus and opening the pubs is going to be part of that process. Now the guidelines say pubs can keep tables separated by one metre from each other but only if there are strict customer slots that are booked in advance. Those pubs wishing to maintain the traditional walk-in culture which is very typical of an Irish night out they will have to have separate chairs and tables by two metres. It means pubs having lower profitability if they want to turn away customers who appear to just turn up at the door. Now, people can queue for slots to become free, but only one of the party is to queue. They must stay socially and then the rest have to stay socially distant somewhere down the street. Now, I don't know how that is actually going to have to work. That's one of the ones I really would be questioning. And one of the more unusual rules contained in the draft document is that the embellishment or decoration of glasses should be minimised. What are they talking about there? The little cocktail umbrellas. They may be a thing of the past. The document also says minimal handling of glassware when cleaning glasses 
don't quite understand that. And also straws should be uh, individually wrapped. And again, that's one of the ones that they're doing already in the in the restaurants and in the gastro uh, pubs. Certainly anywhere I was over the last two weeks, anywhere where a straw was involved, it came individually uh, wrapped. But I have to say, and I was a bit annoyed by it, they came individually wrapped in paper. But when I opened it up, they were all the plastic straws. Guys, we need to be getting rid of the plastic straws. The... Um, it is going to be a big change though. It certainly is going to be a big change for the uh, pubs. The proposed rules, now they've yet to be signed off by the way on ministers. These are just guidelines at the uh, moment. Physical distancing of two metres should be maintained between tables. However, if that's not possible, then uh, it can be reduced to one metre in a controlled environment. And that's where if you pre-book they'll be able to do. And I don't know what really the difference between the pre-booking and the walk-ins are going to be and why one is two metres and one is only a metre. And also, if you're planning on going out with a group of your friends, you need to stop and think because a maximum of six people can go out together, but the six people must come from three, three households. So that would be three couples could go out together but six mates coming from all individual homes sorry folks you're going to have to sit at two different tables of three you're not all going to be allowed to sit together the time slots for those who do decide to book into the pub there will be a maximum of one hour and 45 minutes now that's the very same as it is for the restaurant and then there has to be a 15 minute gap between the customer groups at the table that gives the bar staff time to clean down that table leave the 15 minutes and the next group can uh, come in interesting to see already there is some criticism including from within the government Fianna Fáil TD Mark McSherry warned the draft guidelines for the reopening of wet pubs was another blunder he said followed uh, hard on the heels of wanting to know what everybody ate in a food premises he said here we go again we have guidelines released draft ones as they are they seem to have been written by somebody who's never been in a pub before we're going to be discussing that and more on the programme today your thoughts and comments welcome to 1850-333-103 text or whatsapp 0862 103-103. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in around the new draft, they are draft guidelines for the reopening of a pub. PJ says, well you have to sign into a pub, yeah? Contact tracing will be the very same as it is for restaurants. As far as I know the publican will be asked the, you, you'll sign in, you'll give your contact phone number and the time at which you arrived and whether they're going to get people to sign out as well I don't know but certainly you will be signing in to the pub Meg says as with everything in this country we've gone crackers with all of the details and the rules and the regulations Dennis says Hi Patricia good to have you back thank you very much according to the legislation time slots of 105 uh, minutes are not a requirement where physical distancing of two metres can be strictly maintained so says Dennis does that mean if I I take in a big stick, potentially 2.01 metres long and I keep everyone and everything away from me by the two metres. Can I stay in the pub all day and get locked? Says uh, Dennis. Well, we'll have to wait because the devil certainly is going to be in the detail. They are only draft guidelines at the moment. 1850-333-103 and I haven't, by the way, forgotten that today is leaving cert results day for the class of 2020 and thanks to Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear says Patricia hi the very best of luck to each and every one of this year's leaving cert class they will be a class to remember in a year of unprecedented classroom turbulence they've shown themselves to be a strong resilient and compassionate group of people we as a country are so proud of you may God bless each and every one of you into the future and that's Michael thank you for that Michael in Castletown Bear and we will 
be offering advice to Leaving Cert students later on on the programme. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, publicans have been demanding the urgent reopening of bars across Ireland, which is now the only country in the European Union imposing their closure for health reasons. Michael O'Donovan is the Cork Chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. And Michael joins me, I believe, from outside a protest at Minister Simon Coveney's office. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. I'm, How are you? I'm very well. I'm We'll talk about your protest uh, in a moment, but we know over the weekend that these new draft guidelines for the reopening of pubs uh, were uh, issued. Uh, it's expected that you're going to get the nod to open by the middle of September. How confident are you that you will reopen by the middle of September? Well, I, I can tell you right now, Patricia, uh, Minister Coveney has just come out to talk to us. So <laughs> I've just left him to come talk to you there on uh, and doing this interview. But um, what he has said is um, they have a cabinet meeting tomorrow and they will be issuing the roadmap hopefully uh, next Monday. And uh, look, he can't give us any guarantees that there'll be a date even in that again next Monday. So, look, I think um, we're, we were led to believe in the last couple of days that there would be a date in that roadmap next Monday. But hearing the minister's words this morning, it's, uh, it's quite alarming again that uh, that um, that. There, there may or may not be a date in that next Monday for us. Yes, the draft guidelines were leaked over the weekend, but look, Patricia, there's nothing new in those draft guidelines. Um, Neff had sent a letter to the Cabinet a few weeks ago, and most of the proposals that are in that letter were in the, the that are in the proposals were in that letter. So there's nothing new in it. And the pubs that are operating since June, uh, the only difference in um, is the nine euro meal. So, like, uh, I think even this morning, there's a lot of frustration here with the publicans that if these are the draft guidelines, why weren't we all left open together? Because we can implement the guidelines just as well as the public serving food can implement the guidelines. Yeah, and your industry has had, Michael, three dates. There was the 20th July, there was the 10th of August, there was the 31st uh, of uh, August. I mean, mid, a mid-September date. I mean, this day next week is the 14th of September. That's roughly mid-September. I mean, there's nothing to say that it won't be pushed back again. Yes, well, look, uh, coming here this morning, I was very hopeful that we'd get a date next Monday and look, that they'd give us maybe a week, two weeks' notice to reopen. Uh, listening to the Minister this morning, it's, um, it's quite concerning because I'm now not so sure if we will get a date even next Monday. So it's, um, look, we have and talk, talk to me about that, about how important it is that you get a date and how much time does the public need in order to open up? Well, look, Patricia, I suppose if we got a date, ideally we'd like to know probably a week, 10 days, two weeks in advance. But like, uh, it would, we'd be totally at the mercy of our suppliers to get open really if they, uh, if they announce it next Monday that we can open on Wednesday, for example then we're at the mercy of our suppliers to be able to get deliveries to us in those two days, which, for the vast majority of pubs, that won't happen. That would be an impossibility. It, it's, it's probably not a, a, a possibility. It may take, you know, four or five days to get your product in. You have to re-engage your staff. You can't just turn on a light switch and reopen a bar, unfortunately. It's not that easy. So, um, look, I suppose we, we, we would like to be given a small bit of notice, but that's why we, we 
we're thinking uh, ourselves as a vintners organisation that if we got the date next Monday, it was probably more practical that it would be, you know, maybe two weeks from that that we would be opening. But now, uh, talking to the minister this morning, look, we sit and wait and see what will come out on the roadmap next Monday. But again, it, 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 I don't know, it, it, it doesn't sound too good listening to him, to be quite honest, this morning, engaging with the publicans now. It's very, very frustrating. You're closed now um, almost uh, six months. Are yeah. the majority of publicans now in a very worrying financial situation? I mean, anyone who did have a rainy day fund, I imagine that's drying up very quickly. It is because, look, uh, Patricia, as you said, six months next weekend were closed. Um, we got, a, a, I suppose, a support package from the cabinet from the government uh, last Friday week um, for the vast vast majority of publicans, they would be on um, licence band A. That equates to €1,600 Euros that they gave us really in support. And when you divide that by the 25 weeks that, or the 24 weeks that will be closed, like that equates to a little over €60 Euros a week. Now you try and pay for your commercial premises because being commercial premises, we still have to pay insurance. Uh, we've lighting, heating because we've security requirements to meet your insurance policy. And um, so as you said, we We've all been digging into our um, savings. Yes, we've been getting the COVID payments, and the vast majority of us, except those, again, that are over 66, haven't gotten that. But, um, like, that's run our own private house. Because mm. We all have families. We all have, um, have, have, our, have our own commitments in our house. But our commercial businesses have really suffered to this pandemic. And I suppose what is really stressful for a lot of publicans around the country and around the county that travels a lot of the county in the last couple of weeks um, is the a lot of them have borrowing, be it with their own home mortgage or they might have a loan on the bar and that moratorium ends in, in, in a little over two weeks time so like they they don't know how they're going to repay those loans come October and the demands that will come from the bank so like we're, we're we're pleading with the government and the bank to please engage with the with, with publicans and please have consideration that look we've been in business a long time but this pandemic has totally, I suppose, uh, upset our industry and we, we're, we're just seeking to get our livelihoods back, really, and get back on uh, to earning our livelihoods because the pandemic's going to be with us for a while. The guidelines are going to be with us for a while. So if, even when we do get open, trade won't be anything like it was prior to the pandemic. So we're, we're, we're pleading with people, especially, I suppose, the banks and the government, to listen to us and to help us. Yeah, because that is going to be a real worry. I mean, when you are finally able to open your front doors and allow people in, I mean, people sticking to the rules and the regulations and the guidelines, there will be a case for some pubs where it just won't be economically viable, Michael, to reopen. Isn't that the case? Yeah. Well, also, the I suppose, look, talking to some of the publicans, and I, I would say it's particularly, I suppose, the older generation publican the administration that will go into running the pub now, uh, following you know the uh, keeping the contact details of people, um, it's going to be really hard and really onerous on them. But look, I suppose we've been calling to get the guidelines published, give us an opportunity, and we will open and follow them. So like it's unfortunate that maybe some might be in a position to open. Um, I think the vast majority will. But like um, until we open, Trisha, uh, we can't really say for certain. Yeah, yeah. Um, how viable or not viable it will be to, to run your premises. Um, and you've you've looked through the guidelines. Are they all practical and implementable? 
Sorry, Patricia. I, I said you've looked through the guidelines. Are all of the rules practical and are they all implementable? I sp- yes, look, I suppose, as I've said, they're the exact same guidelines as what's there at present, you know, for the, for the bars that are operating as restaurants. Are they difficult? Absolutely, they are. Um, some parts of it will be, uh, I suppose, harder for some establishments than others. But look, we, look, in order for us to open, we will have to follow these guidelines. So we just have to try and make the, the best as we can and, and follow them, really. But the rule of a maximum of six people from three households will be allowed at a table. Will that be up to you, the publican, to ask, are you living with that person and are you all from different households? I suppose we will have to ask the question and obviously we'll be depending on the public helping us in in, in following uh, this. Like I suppose the public have become accustomed with going to pubs at the moment. That is the same rule that's there at present, so... Look, we'll be depending on the, the public's cooperation in this as well to help us run our business because, look, from, uh, I presume you're aware that there's legislation going through the doll at present and, like, it will make it an offence for us and a, a prosecutable offence if we break the guidelines um, and there'll be sanctions for us. So we'll need the help and cooperation of the public um, as well to, to work within these guidelines. Okay, there'll be a lot of additional paperwork as well um, for, for publicans for sure that wasn't there before and you have to ease up on the cocktail umbrellas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, look, I suppose we get open we'll worry about the <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, there's uh, okay. There's a bit of interference there coming on the phone. Uh, just, uh, just to finish off, uh, Michael, your protest this morning outside Simon Coveney's uh, office, how many people turned up? Uh, look, Patricia, we could have had <laughs> we, we could have had any number here today, but follow follow to follow the public health guidance. We brought fifteen to Michael McGrath's office, and we brought fifteen to uh, Minister Coveney's office. And not Micheál Martin's. Um, no, because unfortunately the the Taoiseach is in Dublin, so we concentrated our um, I suppose our our demonstration this morning in Carrigaline. And look, I suppose. Watch the space. Maybe in coming days or weeks, we might be back in the streets again. Okay, all right. I can see a lot of people really hoping that the pubs reopen. With somebody saying, "I'm gasping for a pint of Guinness." Okay, listen. We leave it there, Michael. Thank you for that, and uh, we'll speak again. But thanks for joining us. No problem. Talk Good morning, Jim. Bye bye. Uh, Michael Donovan of the Castle Inn, who is the Cork Chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Dan is another one of those, says, I hope the pubs open soon. I'm gasping for a pint. If they put the same efforts as they've put into the reopening of the wet pubs, if they put the same efforts into the meat factories, there would have been a lot less cases in this country, says our Dan. 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. While CCTV is being erected in some areas of Cork County to target litter louts, one local councillor took it upon himself to report those who dumped litter in uh, an area of North Cork. Councillor John Paul O'Shea uh, joins me. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And, Good morning, and you're Welcome. Tell me what you came across and where. Well, I was just walking um, uh, out in the roads. There's a nice producer by my brother's house in Lumberstown and um, just came across some, um, I suppose, r- reminiscence of a takeaway um, and that somebody dumped on the side of the road. And it really is frustrating to see in any part of the country, be it Lumberstown or North Cork or anywhere else, and that people still have the capabilities of dumping 
um, you know, something as simple as, it, as the resemblance of a takeaway um, at the side of the road and think that someone uh, from a local tidy towns group or a development association or community council would uh, tidy it up after them. Uh, so it really did infuriate me and I reported it to the, um, the litter warden and the, the waste inspector. So this uh, in was this was what? Possibly somebody driving through Lombardstown who had got a takeaway on the way, ate it in the car and just decided... Nobody around, roll down the window and toss the bag out. Is, is that what you think happened? Absolutely, Patricia, that's what happened. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I think um, they went out of their way. Um, they went 25, 30 miles for a takeaway. They were passing through um, that place, uh, got a takeaway and, um, you know, passed through Lumberstown, decided when they were finished with it, uh, to dispose of it. So I said, um, you know, we're very lucky in Cork County Council that we have uh, a huge dedicated team to the anti-litter uh, unit and the waste um, uh, uh, unit in Cork County Council. And they put a huge amount of time and effort in um, to, I suppose, uh, trying to trace who uh, disposed of this rubbish and other rubbish around around the area and try and pin it back to them and give them a fine. And I reported the same to the... Um, but how do you trace the remnants of a takeaway? Well, it was very simple, Patricia, really, because myself and my sister-in-law were out walking and uh, we located a receipt. Aha! Um, as part of it. Aha! And, um, I took a photograph of that and... Um, um, presented that to the litter inspector the following day and he came out and I gave him the um, uh, receipt and it's his job now to I suppose go back and trace that but I must say there's a huge amount of work in that in relation to I suppose contacting the fast food outlet uh, directly um, you know making contact with them checking out their CCTV um, etc that and I suppose the amount of effort that goes into it uh, but I must stress though Patricia and I think I see uh, other tidy towns uh, and development associations sharing my posts on Facebook over the weekend and just saying look um, to people like this that you know keep doing that and you will be caught yeah. and I think yeah. that's the message to get out there this morning that uh, if you persist in doing that uh, and dumping rubbish out your window um, or throwing a bag of rubbish in the side of the ditch I think the, the time has come uh, now in County Cork in particular because uh, we have put in huge resources in Cork County Council to it uh, that you will be caught and you will be in- Including 40 covert CCTV cameras have, have been installed. That's correct, Patricia. I suppose um, as councillors we've been, I suppose, seeking and looking for this in the last number of uh, months. Uh, we have applied uh, to the Anti-Dumping um, Initiative nationally uh, for funding for this over recent years and uh, we've put a huge amount of resources ourselves into it. So, as I said, you would have seen the recent media coverage um, and I think it was carried in your own programme last week in relation to the number of cameras that have now been deployed in different areas right across Cork County and we won't be identifying those areas uh, for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, but the reality is, I suppose, that there is now more resources going into it and people can be expecting the postman to arrive in the, um, uh, in, in the coming days uh, with different fines um, uh, for that. And I think it's... And that's what we need to do, John Paul. We need to hit people where it hurts. I mean, I think if somebody picks up a fine for, I, I think the minimum is 150 a euro, it can go up to uh, 3,000 euro if it's repeat offenders. I know that. But I think if you target people, we know it works, for example, with speeding. We know it works for illegal parking. We need to get more people fined. We, we do indeed, and that's, and that's the only way uh, to do it, Patricia. And I think it's the only way by coming on shows like your your own this morning uh, to I uh, can outline 
what plans the council have and to try and deter people. And it's only a very small minority in this county that are doing this. Um, but it is a very, very, um, I suppose, horrible thing to do. Mm. Uh, it's left to the ordinary people uh, of this country who are involved in local tight towns groups and development associations and community councils um, to go out and pick up this rubbish at the end of the day. And I think, you know, everybody knows the amount of work that goes on in those groups. And we cannot uh, let a small minority rule um, you know, we have a beautiful countryside here in County Cork, not alone in Lumberstone, but a beautiful countryside right across County Cork. And it's just terrible to walk the, the road uh, in recent days and to come across this. It's just, it's just Yeah, and it's been, it's, we've been let down by the minority. And I'm so glad that you've highlighted groups like uh, Tidy Towns, who, as you say, they're all volunteers. Where, how dirty would our country and county roads be if it wasn't for those people that go out every single week picking uh, up other people's rubbish. Definitely, Patricia, and, and I think we've come across it this year, particularly with COVID, and we've been all trying to live with COVID over the last number of months. And on Tashkent and the county councils do a, a wonderful spring clean month there in April. And unfortunately, it was, I suppose, sidetracked because of the COVID and we weren't encouraging groups to meet up. Mm. Um, but I suppose now we are encouraging uh, small groups to meet up and to take a different road each and to work with county councils. And it's usually done during the month of April. Um, but the Antashka and the county councils have extended that. And they've said, like, there's any community group wants to work with the county councils in Antashka now in, in terms of cleaning up uh, different uh, aspects of the town or or a village or a countryside road that they would work with them in relation to collecting the, that rubbish that's dumped. But we shouldn't be going to this. We shouldn't be resulting to this because everybody should have a bit of responsibility themselves and to ensure that I suppose if they do happen to, um, to uh, call to a fastway outlet or do uh, grab a cup of coffee uh, in the local convenience store that they have the capabilities and the mindset uh, to keep that in the car and bring, bring home your Bring your rubbish home. Um, I, whenever we mention this show we always get reaction. Hi Patricia and John Paul. People throwing rubbish for, out their window from chippers wholesaler on Whelan Newmarket areas. It's not just Lumberstown. It would be great to see some of these people caught says a listener and somebody else says there's jumping as well in Drumahan. It is a disgraceful. Okay listen we leave it there John Paul thank you for that Patricia I just want to say just to encourage people that if they do come across um, you know rubbish dumped in the different areas to please take a photograph of it if they don't wish to uh, I suppose put their hands on it and and, and stuff like that please take a photograph of it send it to the anti-litter unit the the email address is very simple anti-litter unit at corkoco.ie and they will follow it up for for them Uh, but it is because the good people around this area that are reporting uh, initiatives like this or dumping uh, incidents like this will get people caught and get people fighting. Okay, and well done for what you did the other night. Listen, we leave it there, John Paul. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And Good thanks morning. for joining us. Good morning. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. soon as we mention littering we inevitably get a flood of texts and uh, calls and it's happened again when I was chatting in the last hour with Councillor John Paul O'Shea who he himself decided so infuriated out for a walk out and around by beautiful Lombardstown where he lives uh, to discover somebody had gone for a takeaway and just decided to finish the takeaway. Sure, what will I do? I'll open the window and I'll dump it out. There'll be somebody in the Lombardstown area who'll be good enough to clean up after me. But he reckons he's got a till receipt where there's a time and a date and they're going to go back to the establishment where the takeaway was bought. They're going to look through CCTV and somebody could be getting a nasty little surprise in the post and lots of people are saying uh, that's just what we need to do. We need to do more and more 
more of that. Some of your calls in. Alice said last Saturday morning she spotted a group of people who were out cleaning up around the Mayfield area and later on that day there was a man out from the group and he was cutting the grass. So Alice decided she was going to go over and just say well done, saw you all out earlier, you're doing terrific work and you know, give a compliment and that's a, a good thing to do as well Alice. So over she popped to the man who was cutting the grass to discover who was it? Only the Lord Mayor of Cork City himself, Joe uh, Cavanagh. So well done to Joe out doing his bit for the uh, community. Hi Patricia, listening to you now there and I have to tell you when it comes to littering. I drove to Formoy yesterday evening and I was disgusted to see the amount of rubbish dumped on the side of the road. Black bags of rubbish. I was totally shocked. What kind of people can dump this rubbish like that? Shame on them. But it's like everything else, Patricia. Nothing is done about it. I'm sorry for the rant and that is from Breda in Mallow. And I suppose that's where we all have the responsibility to start talking up and complaining and reporting when we see illegal dumping going on. A listener says this is from Tim in Yall. Uh, Tim says, well done to Councillor John Paul O'Shea for highlighting rubbish disposal litter bugs. It's about time we all stood up and exposed these people. It's nothing less than ignorance and it's also destruction of our beautiful planet. However, courts need to be active on this matter. Please outline the email address again that Councillor John Paul O'Shea gave for the litter unit in order to report. I'm only too glad to do that and this is one of the things that Councillor John Paul O'Shea was encouraging people and he says if you see evidence of littering then please report it if you can get photographic evidence of it please do and you can send litter and waste complaints by email to anti-litterunit anti-litterunit at corkcoco.ie so it's a simple simple enough address anti-litterunit at corkcoco.ie some of your texts in on this. That's all well and good, Patricia. A lot of dumping that is going on is because the council have taken away a lot of the bins, especially around Mallow Town. So people now have nowhere to throw their bits and bobs. Hence, there is a build up of litter. I've counted two to three bins that have been removed in Mallow, where I live, in the space of a couple of hundred yards. Hence, you get a build up of rubbish. Now, in defence of the council and why they remove street bins, and I know what infuriates people, if you have some rubbish and you're trying to dump it and you can't find a street bin and that you know it can annoy uh, people but the reason that they, in many cases that they have to remove the bins people were using those bins to dump domestic rubbish those bins were put in place for exactly what you're talking about when you're out and you've bits and bobs you want to you know you maybe go in and buy an, an ice cream or something and you've got the wrapper and you want to throw the wrapper away or you want to encourage your children to throw the wrapper away and to put it into a bin and there isn't a bin because those bins then started to overflow with people bringing their domestic rubbish with them. Yes, there was actually people who left their houses, but rather than pay for the bin collection, they brought their domestic rubbish with them and they filled up a lot of the on-street bins in towns like Mallow. It's not just Mallow, it's happened all over the city and county and no doubt happened all over the country. And for that reason, the council had no choice but to remove them. But therefore it does, the knock-on effect is, what do you do if you're out and about and you have some rubbish? I suppose what the council would say is, 
bring it home with you until you until you can dispose of it correctly or carry it with you until you win eventually and hopefully uh, come across a bin. Mag says it's not rocket science. Twice a week. A truck used to collect all of the recyclables from where I live, but now the council won't pay them. So when you do that, dumping increases, says Mags on the principle that we need to make it easy for people in order to stop dumping. We have to make it as easy as possible. But even with curbside collections, I mean, if you look at for the majority of us, and not for everyone, I accept in rural areas that you won't have been collections, but for most of us that live in urban areas or in towns, we have curbside collections right outside your door now. You get your recyclables collected. I mean, I, I have four bins on the go now. I have the bin for general waste for the landfill. I've got the recyclable bin. I have the bin for my food waste. And I even and I'm very blessed and lucky to have a bin that collects my glass bottles. So I don't even have to collect those up and bring them to the recycling centre that I used to have to do before. So it is, the powers that be are trying to make it as easy as possible. But even if you make it as easy as possible, you're still going to have people like the morons who were driving where John Paul O'Shea was talking about, had their takeaway and rolled down the window and just threw it out, threw it out the car window. No matter what kind of recycling facilities you put in place for somebody like that. You're never, you're never going to get through. We need to start catching these people and we need to start finding them. And another listener says, Patricia, a car passed me on the bridge in Canturk last week and the driver, can I say, a young male driver, threw a water bottle just out the window of his car. Didn't think anything of it. You know, just going along, oh, finish my water, roll down the window and out it goes. And there you go, single-used plastic uh, as well absolutely shameful. I'd love to think that whoever is listening, who the driver of that car is listening to at the moment, you were spotted. It's an awful pity that you didn't get a car registration number of the car of who was driving that young male throwing the bottle straight out the window. 1850 333 103. On the reopening of pubs, uh, Donal says, I suppose any pub, when they are reopening, should be known as Republicans, says uh, Donald. See what Donald did there? Republicans, Republicans. Thank you for that, uh, Donald. One of the ones waiting for the pubs to reopen. Now, on people then giving out about some of the pubs, the gastro pubs that are already open and the restaurants, somebody who doesn't want their name mentioned uh, because people will know who this person is, says Patricia. I know of a pub that opened up last Wednesday. A person I know went in there at 1pm in the afternoon and staggered out at 11.15pm. No rules there, but they were serving food. Somebody on a premises from 1 o'clock in the day until quarter past 11. No wonder they staggered out. I would have been carried out on a stretcher, I think, if I'd been asked to drink for that period of time. But... In all of the establishments that have been opened, I think the majority of them are abiding by the rules and regulations. Some people are actually complaining that people are too strict with the rules and regulations. But you're always going to get a small minority who will breach the rules and regulations. And, and you know, we all know there. I don't think I could name a town or an area of the city that we haven't had calls in of somebody pointing some establishment out where the rules and regulations are being breached. The majority are doing their very best to abide by them, but you will always get the few who will just 
decide no I'm in this to make a profit so I'm not going to abide by the rules but I mean by the current guidelines that particular establishment the person could have gone in at one o'clock had their substantial meal for nine euro and with the owner making a note of exactly what the person had and then by three o'clock that person should have left now there's nothing to stop that person then at three o'clock booking a table somewhere else and, and moving on as the guidelines stand, that's what should have happened. But it obviously didn't happen if the person was allowed to remain on the premises from one o'clock in the afternoon until a quarter past 11 at at night. It just seems crazy, but according to this listener, it happened. And then Dave was on to say, Hi, I'm listening with interest to the need for pubs and restaurants to keep receipts for 28 days after serving food. Well, I was in a pub last weekend. They were only serving soup and toasted sandwiches. I had the option of just paying the €9 for the soup and the toasty, but not actually ordering anything. I was told once the till receipt showed the €9 against my name and in order then I could order alcohol away. What is the point of keeping my till receipt in that particular case? By the way, there was also no social distancing going on. There was a very large, messy crowd. I could see no difference with the good old days of no COVID. The other pubs can't open as they don't have a couple of sandwich toaster makers or a soup pot. It seems so unfair says uh, David as I say I could open the phone lines and everyone will highlight some pub in some area where they feel they're breaching the rules but as I say for the majority of them they are sticking by the guidelines but what I always say to people if you end up this is where individual choice comes into it and making sure that we protect ourselves and we protect our loved ones if you go into a premises like that that you feel social distancing has gone out the door people are allowed to drink whatever they like and it becomes a very large messy crowd than Dave you have the individual choice to leave and don't put yourself uh, in any kind of danger or, or at, at risk 1850 Patricia this is also by WhatsApp many of the older generation are constantly complaining about the young students who are parting and saying that they're not adhering to the COVID-19 regulations. Well, recently, while travelling by train between Dublin and Cork, all of the younger passengers were wearing their masks throughout the journey, while the vulnerable elderly removed theirs as soon as the train pulled off. The staff were constantly trying to monitor this throughout the journey, but they haven't the authority to issue warnings or fines, so not all older people are abiding by the rules. One thing I did notice, thank you for that text, one thing I did notice actually, and we were commenting on it during my staycation, when I was in Galway City last week, which is a very young, buzzy kind of a town, and you could see a lot of the students were returning, you know, as we arrived, there was a lot of students around with their hall and their suitcases and their bags. You could see a lot of them around the place and gathering in, in groups. But the one thing I have to say, the amount of young people walking out on the street who are wearing their masks. I saw very few older people wearing masks. Now, I know the rules and regulations don't state that you, that you wear your masks outside. But these young people had obviously decided themselves that they felt safer and that they were protecting other people by wearing masks. And as I say, it was in the main, the cohort wearing masks were young people. They certainly weren't older people. So again, while we will have some young students partying and we've spoken about it and highlighted it certainly on this programme this uh, 
this summer. Again, it's the small minority who have a tendency to ruin it for the majority of people who are doing their best and doing their best uh, to try to abide by all of the rules that are in place. John in Mallow is given out about the cost of things in this country. He went for a coffee and a scone in Cork the other day and he was shocked when he was asked for €7.50 for a cup of coffee and one scone. And he said, by the way, the scone was rock hard. Well, you know what to do there, John. You simply don't go back. And just very briefly, this is on the South Westerlies, this programme that started last night but I have it recorded because I was watching another series that I've been following on the BBC Strike. So I recorded the South Westerlies and said, oh, I'll watch that tomorrow instead. And lo and behold, we've been getting some calls in. And I know John Paul was on Twitter about this yesterday because it's a programme that is meant to be set in a small village in West Cork. And it's to do with a company coming in. I think it's to do with putting up wind turbines and it's the local community getting together against the wind turbines something a topic we certainly have addressed in not on a TV programme but in reality on this programme before uh, for sure and seemingly in the middle of the programme there is a producer of the mid-morning chat show who is around doing a little bit of investigation and of course everybody's saying is that our John Paul that they're talking about? So I am very can't wait to see the programme to see how John Paul a, a person like John Paul is depicted in this programme but anyway a lot of people picked up on it last night but the, what we're hearing about today if you did watch the programme last night it is said to be set in West Cork and by all accounts there's gorgeous aerial shots of Galley Head and the Old Head and other obviously very scenic areas of West of West Cork. But it seems in reality the actual programme was filmed in Wicklow. And we've had a couple of people on this morning saying, why didn't they film that in West Cork? You know, and particularly when they're they've set it in West Cork and they've used the aerial shots to give you the feel of its West Cork. And yet they filmed in Wicklow. Now, was was it to do with cost of production? I don't, I don't really know. We'll see if we can find out. But did others, if others watched that programme last night, I'd be interested in your views on it. And does it annoy you that they set something in West Cork and yet then decide to film it in Wicklow? I mean, if they were going to film it in Wicklow, why didn't they set it in Wicklow? 1850 C103 Jobs. A cafe slash restaurant supervisor is required for Dunmanway, while a quality assurance technician and production operators are wanted. That's for Deanish Island in Castletown Bear. And the Bon Secure Hospital in Cork, they're recruiting for a staff nurse in the following specialities theatre, orthopaedics, medical, surgical, and critical care. And Carebright, they're recruiting carers for the Formoy Glanworth areas. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now it seems health insurance is on the increase as Irish Life Health is due to raise the cost of its premiums. It's now expected that others will possibly follow suit. Dermot Good of TotalHealthcare.ie joins me uh, to discuss this in more detail. Good morning to Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you're welcome to the programme. Given that the market was severely disrupted earlier this year as the state almost took control of all of the private... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax... 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hospitals. What is the reason for the increase now? Yeah, I, I tell you, this increase doesn't surprise us, um, Patricia. And, and I suppose the reason for this is that the level of medical inflation in, in the health insurance industry, it runs at between 5 and 8% each year. Um, so what we mean by that is that basically the cost of new, new medications, particularly in the area of cancer drugs, the cost of new treatments, um, and also the utilisation. The number of people, I know we had, we had, I suppose, a break, if I can call it that, where the, the HSE took over, temporarily took over some private hospitals, and thankfully we all got back some refunds uh, from the insurance companies, roughly about 50% for that three-month period. But believe it or not, since the 1st of July, the private hospitals have been absolutely flat out because all the backlog they had to clear that, which my understanding is they've cleared all of that. Um, so most people who maybe weren't able to access treatment or had treatment postponed or delayed in the private system, um, that should all now be rearranged. And people are, are actively or proactively more so going back in now and getting all those ongoing treatments and um, those diagnostics all done. So the claims are right up there back to where they were. Um, which is good because it means people are, are, I suppose, going back in and getting those medical treatments. But we're not surprised that, that the rates have gone back up again and um, Irish Life is the first one to move. Now, their last increase would have been back on the 1st of January. Um, I suppose the average increase of 2.5%, look, nobody likes an increase, but if if the maximum increase was going to be in around that across all the insurance companies, I don't think a lot of people will complain because when you look at the increases in the likes of car insurance and other insurances, which are multiples of that, um, but it is necessary, though, as claims costs increase, it is necessary for, let's just say, for premiums to rise accordingly because we all want to be fully covered. And we pretty much told all of our clients at this stage now, Patricia, they really should be, I suppose, budgeting for increases of 5 to 7% each year just to keep their cover, let's just say, um, comprehensive and that there's no slippage in their cover. We expect that VHI and Leia Healthcare will no doubt follow suit before the year is out. And obviously we're coming into the busy renewal period now. Mm. So uh, this, you know, most people are going to, let's just say, get caught by this increase. Nobody likes increases, but I was doing some quick calculations. It probably means anything from €35 Euro to €150 Euro for an average family policy. Okay. 
over the year. So look, it's 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 not significant, but at the same time, a lot of your listeners, I I, I would assume, are under pressure um, and costs right across the board. And look, nobody likes increases when, 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 when that's going on in the background or whatever. But yes, this is now happening from the 1st of October. Yeah, and as you say, Irish Life, it was back in January when they last uh, put up their premiums. I mean, in the VHI had a price increase in March and Leia had a price increase in April. But we can still expect another one from, from, from them as well. We can. I mean, your, your listeners will remember... Years ago, we might have had one increase a year and it tends to be a big increase. What tends to happen now is, look, the actuaries and each of the insurance companies, they're monitoring this on a month-by-month basis, even on a plan-by-plan basis. And if they see a surge in claims um, for any particular reason, but if it's over and above what they budgeted for, they have to move quickly to, let's just say, cover those claims costs. And look, we, we all want to be fully covered. And what I would say to any of your listeners out there now, if if they don't have cover in place, there are still brilliant deals out there, and um, particularly for families. Um, Leia Healthcare have just launched an offer right now where the second, third, fourth child under 18, you can actually insure them for free. Um, Patricia, if your listeners are not on these corporate schemes, you see, even with these increases, 50% of your listeners right now with health insurance are on the wrong plans, and uh, possibly more than that. They think they've got good cover. They probably have very good cover, but they're on dated plans or they're not on these corporate plans. And and once again, your, your listeners really need to, I suppose, to listen to this because the corporate plans are available to everybody. So the, the, the naming of these plans, it gives the impression that they're only for the multinationals or for the big company schemes. Anybody can join any plan on the market, no matter what it's called. So if you don't have a small excess on your plan, if you're not on a corporate plan, if you haven't reviewed it in the last three to five years, if you have every member on the policy on the same plan, like Patricia, they're all signs of people being overinsured. And really those people, uh, whether they do it themselves or whether they get an advisor to do it for them, it would pay them significantly to get their cover reviewed because they're missing out um, on, on the latest deals. I mean, I see VHI in the last couple of months or once have launched five, six new plans. Um, so there's new deals coming on stream all the time. So it's like your car and home insurance. Don't be complacent. Don't let it auto-renew. And uh, They love you if you let it auto-renew <laughs> because it means you're paying too much and they don't yeah. even have to work for the renewal. So, you know, you really need to be checking this each year. And the good thing I will say, what we've noticed over the last three to six months, because, unfortunately, a lot of people have more time on their hands and they're working from home and people are now really focusing on costs, Good point. We've seen an increase in the numbers reviewing their cover. Yeah. And Patricia, people are shocked and at, at the savings. And people will often say to us, how can they get better cover at a lower premium? And the answer is simple. They've simply stayed on the same plan for too long. And the other thing, which is a positive development, we have seen more and more, when I say kids, I mean young adults, um, sons and daughters, basically sitting down with the mum and dad and saying, listen, you're paying too much and we're going to review this for you. And we'll help and we'll, you make we'll, right. we'll help you st- We'll help you save money. And the COVID-19 test that private hospitals were charging for, that's now been covered by uh, health insurers. I mean, that certainly is good, is good news. But ultimately, will we all pay for it through our premiums? We will. You know, it is good news. Um, and I think two hospitals or hospital groups are still discussions are ongoing, but my understanding from the insurance companies is that they're nearly there with all the hospitals. And the good news for that, it means that people aren't paying out, uh, you know, when they're going in. They have to get these tests done prior to admission to make sure it's safe to bring them in. Um, but yes, so, so they are covered. But you know what, Patricia, as you and I have discussed many a time, yes, but this is an extra cost. It's an extra cost 
uh, that wasn't budgeted for. And when, when you think about this, and, and I'm not here now to defend the insurance companies, <laughs> but like some people got back with, say, €250 Euro, um, of a refund on their health insurance. But one of these tests in some of these hospitals, one test was like 250 to 275 euro. Now, can you imagine if somebody had to go in two or three times, uh, separate times over the year, they might have two or three separate tests, uh, which the insurance companies are now going to basically pay for. Now, I'm sure they've negotiated a much lower cost than that. But like Patricia, it's an extra cost that was unforeseen. And that means, yes, they're covering it, but it will be passed on to us further down the line and, and that's Germ- feeding into these increases. Dermot, wasn't it? I remember at the time being very annoyed about some of the the charges we were hearing about from our listeners who were going in for, for tests and discovered this COVID test had to be done before they could get inside the door of the hospital. Some of those, like up to 275 in, in some cases, that was very, ex- very expensive for a COVID-19 test. Well, absolutely was, uh, and there was there was quite a variance, seventy five to two seventy five. Um, you know, we, we've had all kinds of charges. So, what what normally happens, and what was I suppose unprecedented with this one, was that it just came out of nowhere, and suddenly the hospitals were charging. Um, and normally, what would happen, Patricia, is the, the the private hospitals, in fairness, whenever there's an extra cost, they will usually engage directly with the insurance companies to basically say, listen, we need to cover this cost to continue to provide the, the treatment. And normally there's a process there where there's, there's, there's a negotiation back and forth with the insurance companies and they normally do a deal with all the hospitals. I suppose this one caught a lot of people out because the charges were suddenly imposed. The insurance companies found out after the event and, and people were being charged prior to admission. Now, my understanding is that these are now covered in nearly all the private hospitals. But if anybody had to pay for one of those charges and, and a deal has now been done with their insurance company and that hospital, they should get back onto the hospital in question because my understanding is that the insurance companies will retrospectively cover those um, so members may find that they may be able to get a refund. Um, but they need to talk to the insurance company and the hospital and they will tell them exactly where they stand on that. By the way, Patricia, some of your listeners may have these cash plans. We've mentioned these before, these HSF um, cash plans. Um, these are the hospital Saturday fund. Now, they're not health insurance, but they give you money back on your routine expenses. Mm-hmm. My understanding is they're covering the COVID tests. Oh. You know, they're covering them as well. And the other thing too as well, Patricia, we, some of your listeners may have these dental plans. So D-Care Dental is, is the, the main provider of dental coverage in this country. Um, they're based there in Clare Morris. And I know that a lot of dental treatments have now increased in cost because there's extra costs for dentists because in terms of sanitation... The PPE gear, yeah. Exactly. But my understanding is that, that those costs are now being absorbed by the likes of D-Care Dental as well. So um, so people who have good cover should find they still are covered. If they've any concerns whatsoever, they should contact their insurer and check that with them. But there's no doubt about it, costs are increasing on the back of COVID-19 medical costs. And that's to do with the testing and all the extra costs that practitioners have to incur. And look, the good thing, nobody likes, nobody likes paying extra premium. But I suppose, Patricia, when, there's extra, when we can directly attribute that extra premium to an extra cost and it's not just something plucked out of thin air, well, at least we know what the cost relates yeah, to. Yeah, and it's, um, it sits better with people. Costs. It definitely sits better with people. OK, you're a mine of information as always, Dermot. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. My pleasure. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Dermot Good of Total Health Cover. Dot IE 1850 333103. We're going to be discussing leaving cert results day next. And there was a text in, if I can find it through all the texts that have come in. Here it is. Could you give a big shout out, please, to 
Ian Evans, who is delighted with his Leaving Cert results this morning. I don't know where in the City or County Ian Evans is listening to us, but congratulations to you, Ian. The message on this text is it's a lovely day for flying his drone. We're all very proud of him from Mam, Dad, Nanny and Papa and from your brother. Congratulations, Ian Evans, along with all of the other students across Cork City and County picking up their Leaving Cert results earlier this morning. We'll take a break and we're back giving advice to those same students. Cork Today on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. As we've mentioned, of course, the leaving certificate results for 2020 out this morning. Our career guidance expert, Roisin Kelleher, joins me. Good morning to you, Roisin. Morning, Patricia. And I suppose we start, as we always do, with best wishes and congratulations to all of the students. Absolutely. That's the first thing. It's a very big day for them. Uh, an anxious day. But let's hope it will be positive and that they are obtaining their results with in the method that they can obtain them on this occasion. It's been a tough year for them, hasn't it? It certainly has. It's been a really tough year since this unexpected situation occurred earlier in the spring. And of course, again, I know their focus today is on the Leaving Cert students and the students that would have applied from other courses in the past. But I also have great sympathy for the young people that are returning as the Cert and going in and facing the exam next year because their education has hugely disrupted as well since March. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And of course, even the way the young people picked up their results today, very different than the <laughs> traditional going up to the school and the principal meeting you and handing you the envelope. That is quite so, quite different. But however, the schools are there to help the young people. They, they have, they're not going to disappear, so they are there for them. And also the helpline that is staffed by the guidance counsellors in conjunction with the parents. And so the help is there. So that's very important. The students do not feel isolated. I've had quite a number of calls from students that I would have worked with during the year and they had made contact and I welcome that. But just to seek the help and not feel isolated and that they will get assistance with regard to whatever their queries are. Yeah, and as always, the National Parents Post-Primary, their, their help on staff it's by... It's 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock this it's, morning. It's open now, evening. yeah, until 8 o'clock uh, this evening. one 165 And that will be ongoing for the next couple of days. Yeah, so if you don't get through today, don't don't panic. No. Uh, you'll be able to get through uh, tomorrow. Yes. Um, and it, it seems, I mean, reading some of the newspaper articles today, yes. like it seems the grades are higher this year because oh. they were calculated grades. The knock-on effect of that, I'm assuming, Roisin, will be higher points for college. It will. It will. And that outcome will be known on this Friday. Uh, on the Friday afternoon, you won't come in the morning because they usually get the CAO in the past. Those offers would be offered from six o'clock in the morning. So that's not going to happen on this occasion. They will be released at two o'clock on this Friday, Friday the 11th. And the thing about that, of course, Patricia, is that they actually have to have the return, well, make the decision on whether they're going to take the course or not by the following Wednesday. So it's a very short turnaround, actually. And then for parents... A bit of a nightmare then. We're trying to find if the college is away from home, trying to source accommodation. These are major issues. I'm not taking from today with the results, which is wonderful. But the outcome, the follow-on outcome with regard to the, let's hope, the offer or whatever their situation will be on uh, Friday. And of course, like this week, there's more than higher education offers. But if we stay with that particular issue at the moment, 
there is the situation of uh, accommodation. They don't know the timetabling. They don't know whether they will be on campus or not. They don't know about the broadband connectivity. You know, these are very big, major issues. And they, they will be part of the decision-making when they get their offers from the Harwich Gate, from the CAO, on this Friday. Now, of course, as in other years, after Wednesday, there will be a second round, third round and fourth round. So it will roll on. And, of course, there are other options as well, such as post leaving courses, the FETAC courses and all of those. Students can still make an application for those courses. And one should never forget the wonderful opportunities there are in apprenticeships. So there are, there are more options than simply the CAO. But, of course, the CAO is a very popular mm. consideration for a lot of people. So I suppose that's obvious that that is a concern that they will have. And what if somebody today, this morning, Roisin, received their results and they're not happy with a particular as calculated grade in a particular subject? Yeah. Is there an appeals route this year? There will be an appeals route and that will be available from next Monday, Monday the 14th of September. Okay, so so you can appeal the decision. And of course, there's also the option of sitting the exam, isn't there? That is quite so. That will come around in November of this year, apparently the 16th of November. And those even subjects will be examined either at the evening or at weekends. But that would mean, of course, entry to the final year. They they wouldn't be in time for this year. Yeah. Of course, the courses will start. They expect that the third level courses will start at the end of this month. I mean, they have said that, that they expect that they will be starting on possibly Monday, the 28th of September. And I know for the first years, they're hoping that the first years will be on campus for the majority of the year. But for other years, it's such a strange time in which we were were living through. When I was in Galway last week, I met with, I just got chatting to two young students uh, one day. They just returned to God. They were third year students. And one was telling me that 100% of his classes are now online. And the other young student was saying that she hasn't been confirmed yet, but between two and four hours a week was all she would spend on campus. Well, well, these are the issues. Yeah. And they're very big, major issues for people. And this whole situation of will they go into accommodation in these particular towns and cities where the colleges are, or will they work from home? And if they work from home, do they have the broadband connectivity? Or if they're going on transport, what transport is involved? These these are big, huge issues. Now, there were always those issues. And, and of course, it's so important that the students will research their courses and make quite sure whatever the course is, is the course that they expect it is. But how the course will be delivered, that's a completely new issue that we have this year for the students. Do students also have the option to defer to next year? Yes. They, what they will do is that they contact the college and seek that if it's allowed. That will always be at the discretion of the college authorities, admissions. And of course, for some of the students that may have deferred from last year, just to reassure those, those students that have a deferred place, that place will be honoured. They will get that place because there has been issue in the media about students that are applying from maybe last year. 2019, yeah. Because, of course, their points would have been naturally 2019. And, of course, the points naturally every year would either go up or down. But it appears that they seem to be particularly inflated this year, which puts extra pressure on those students that would have been, have applied through the system and wouldn't have had the deferred place kept for them. 
they actually, that's it. That's, that's, that's the issue that they have. They, they're in there with all the rest. So how they are going to manage, we don't know. I know the minister said they're putting in extra places. I know there was a question on would they be reinforced, fenced, these particular group of people. But there has been no decision about that. So I wouldn't be giving any false hope to people about that. Uh, but it's just important also to remember, even at this time, some colleges have already advertised, I mean, third level colleges have advertised with vacant places. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then, as you say, it isn't all about uh, the CAO. There are other options as well. Post-leaving search courses have proven really popular over the last number of years, Roisin. They are, absolutely. And they also prove a wonderful entry into third level. Now, they're very good courses in their own right with employment opportunities at the end of that one-year or two-year course, or they can give a great pathway into higher education depending, of course, on the results that they would obtain from their FETA course. So that's wonderful opportunities there. Uh, with regard to getting onto those courses, they should make online application now, I would suggest. And then they will be interviewed uh, by the personnel in the colleges to see how suitable they would be for their courses. They also expect us to begin their programs at the end of the month. But again, for some of them, there's the same issue of accommodation and Mm -hmm. transport and whatever way they will be delivered. But the apprenticeships, Patricia, are so important. And we have in the apprenticeship route, there are actually two areas where people can obtain a level eight degree. One in insurance practice and one just released this summer in recruitment. So can you imagine that they in three years will emerge with their level eight honours degree? And as they say, earning as you learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but of course, there are other courses as well besides the level eight, but they happen to have two that give their honours degree programmes, but there's the apprenticeships, as they always have in the construction sector, which of course is very important, and the carpenters, the electricians, the plumbers, and all of that. That we are screaming out for, <laughs> and we need. Yeah. They're there, but in addition to that, they have the newer ones then. Uh, one of the latest, the newer ones, happens to be in hairdressing. Would you believe? They had none in hairdressing. So hairdressing is in their retail supervision, sales, very many in logistics, and uh, a great range. Again, all of those are outlined by just going on to all the W's dot apprenticeships dot IE. Okay, a lot of, lot of career choices so the, there. The, the website, the CEO website itself, the Department of Education website with all the information about the legal search, the appeals and all that information. Uh, Qualifax, which is the national database. So, you know, people can help themselves a lot. Okay. and try and uh, go through whatever queries they have but most certainly they will have the contact with their schools or the helplines that are available and many colleges will also run helplines. Okay and today is about celebrating their it achievements and it's, it's, it's this evening as well of course with the celebration. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. There, there is a pandemic out there. Roshan you're a mind of information we'll speak again. Thank you for that. It's and thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Bye bye. And is a Bandon based uh, queer guidance expert, Roisin Kelleher. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103.
and with a little help from my friends here on the programme. I am delighted to say that it has just been announced in the last hour or so that uh, the programme court today we have been nominated in the current affairs category for this year's uh, IMRO Radio Radio Awards and while today is the day for the leaving cert results uh, to be announced there's also a feeling amongst all radio stations all over the country when the day that the IMRO, the radio awards, the nominations come out, there's almost that feeling in the morning like a little bit like the leaving sort of results day because you put your nomination in and you're waiting to see are you going to be one of the ones that gets selected. So absolutely thrilled to hear that the programme has been nominated in the current affairs section. Actually this is the award that we won back in uh, 2015. We've been nominated on a number of occasions and we've got a couple of runner-up awards and then we got the big one in 2015 which was just absolutely thrilling and that moment when the programme was called out on that night is a moment I think I will never ever forget but it's still always a buzz when we get nominated because I appreciate particularly in the current affairs category because it's quite a tough category because there are so many brilliant current affairs programmes every single radio station in this in this country has absolutely brilliant current affairs programmes so we're up there against the best of them just when we put the entry in so to get nominated and I'm always saying whenever we do get nominated to me that's a win and an achievement uh, in itself so I'm thrilled particularly uh, for John Paul who puts so much work into this programme behind the scenes and also uh, Bernie Murphy who uh, works on the programme and Sadie who's joined the crew since Covid began this week the, this year helping us out as well so there's a lot behind the scenes go on so it's it's just it's, it's, it's thrilling just to get nominated even if we don't walk away with anything on the night the only downside to this year is there won't be a big night out. I won't get to put the guna on and get all dressed up, which is always a great night out because you get to meet all of the radio people from all over the country and we, you know, if you're lucky enough to get nominated and you go to the, the big gala dinner you get to meet everybody else and it's just always a fun night out. But obviously this year that's not going to be happening. It's going to be done uh, virtually. But you know, I might just put on the guna anyway and get dressed up at home and sit by the computer screen on the night. Who knows? But just to uh, and I know Mairead had it there on the news. We have been nominated for the current affairs show for uh, this year for uh, 2020 so uh, thrilled absolutely thrilled Okay, let me get back to some of your calls coming in still getting a lot of commentary in about this programme that I have to put my hand up and say I haven't seen yet but I haven't recorded this was the programme The South Westerlies it aired last night on RTE it's a new drama series it's a six part drama series and it's set in a fictional coastal town the coastal town is called Carrageen and Carrageen is meant to be somewhere in West Cork. And the storyline is that the little town is thrown into turmoil when it's been earmarked for a Norwegian-owned wind farm. And it began last night on RT. And as I say, it runs for the next uh, six weeks. And a lot of people are contacting us to say they watched it and it was great. And a number of people saying stunning, beautiful scenes of West Cork. And then we discover that it wasn't filmed in West Cork at all. It was actually the film film was the action for the film was were, began in mid-September of last year 2019 and they shot the series over a 10 week shoot so they managed to get it all done and dusted before we even got to hear about uh, COVID and the shoot locations they say include Wicklow Town I think the bulk of it was filmed in Wicklow Town now it also says Cork but I don't know how much of it was filmed here in Cork and obviously there were scenes based in Oslo in Norway but the main location was in uh, 
Wicklow town and people are complaining about that and giving out including some people who said they watched it last night for example a text in to say Patricia I watched it last night and I was convinced says Sue that it was kind of kilty I was watching watching perhaps the studio based in the fact that they based it in Wicklow was it that they made it cheaper says uh, Sue yeah and I do, I do think it's got to do with uh, cost what was the name of that TV programme about West Cork please South Westerlies is what it's called you'll be able to you certainly will be able to get it on the player it was on at half nine last night and it's on for the next six weeks so I'm assuming it's at the same time slot for the next six weeks. Jared says Patricia refilming locations. It is normal practice to use alternative locations than where a show is set for practical reasons. For instance, when you see New York scenes in most American shows, it's usually downtown Toronto which has been mocked up to look like a street in New York. The reason for that is because the Canadian film tax credits scheme. Same reasons Homeland and other shows. They use South Africa, uh, particularly if they want scenes that are set in the Middle East locations and they do it for tax reasons, says Jared. And I imagine if we get on to RTE, that's exactly what they will tell us. Margaret in Domanwe says, um, is also one of the people that's disappointed that when they heard that the show was based in West Cork. They were assuming we were going to be seeing scenes from around West Cork. So she was disappointed. She said, when I saw it first, I I presumed also that it was going to be set in West Cork, that it would be filmed. I couldn't figure out why they didn't, for example, go and use a town like Domamwe, which is where Margaret is from, to film this. It's a pity, she says, as it misleads those who are watching it. And you're looking at a mixed scenery from Wicklow and West Cork. And Jackie in McCroom said, it's awful that they didn't film the series in Cork. I know it's fictional, but pretending to say it's West Cork when it's somewhere else is simply wrong. And often what happens when they do film scenes in a particular area and if they display, you know, great shots of beauty and whatever, it can be a fantastic tourism attraction. I mean, I certainly remember going to the movies to see Star Wars and, you know, the scenes where they finished up on Skellig Michael and then they started the next movie on Skellig Michael as well and it was the scenery was absolutely stunning and that has done wondrous for Skellig Michael well it did up to when Covid-19 hit us with the amount of people who saw those scenes in the cinema and said must go there want to go there so people do when they when when you watch something on TV it might put it into somebody's head to go visit so it, it is a pity but as I say I think Jared is right it probably all goes down to and goes back to the fact that it was a cost uh, reason for it OK uh, thank you for your questions coming in for Annalise keep those coming she'll be joining us after half past 12 uh, today 1850 or you can text or WhatsApp they're coming in by texting me here 086 on dumping that we spoke about earlier a listener says there are people in the Charleville area who dump their domestic rubbish into council bins and they do it rather than paying for their own bins to be collected so when I was saying why some the council had removed bins in some areas that's the reason for it you have people who decide ah oh, sure I'll just put everything I'll throw everything into the council's public bin and they'll get rid of the rubbish uh, for me Patricia says another texter the national picture on the Covid tracker appears to be in arrears. The county breakdown is only registering the figures for the 4th, up to the 4th of September. Surely all the display transactions should be up to date for the app to be successful. Okay, I I haven't checked into the COVID app today. I have the phone here. Sorry for the noise in the background. That's my uh, phone. 
Let me see uh, the daily cases. When you look at the daily cases over the last two weeks in the national picture, the national picture, let me look to Cork. Is it only up to the 4th of September? Oh, it is only up to the 4th of September. OK, I thought it was more up to date than that. I thought it was up to within a couple of days. Where are we at today, the 7th? Yeah, I suppose that's as accurate as they're going to get it. But somebody, I, I suppose the system is feeling that it should be absolutely in real time. So it's up to within three days, I suppose. I hadn't noticed uh, that before. I suppose we'll go to the 5th tomorrow and uh, so on. Let me stay with COVID-related uh, issues. Here's a good one from Christy. And this ties in with the littering that we were talking about today as well. Patricia, now that mask wearing will probably be with us for a considerable length of time, I wonder why special bins have not been put in place for the disposal of discarded masks instead of the present arrangement of they being placed into the regular bins or in some instance just thrown on the ground. Those who have the task of emptying bins and segregating waste should not be unduly put at risk by having them mixed up with general waste. Kind regards, says Christian Temple Glanton, and you are so, so right. And I haven't seen any facility anywhere where I've been where there's a sign to put your disposable masks once you're finished with them. And Christy is right. I have noticed the amount of disposable masks on the ground. At one stage at the start of lockdown, we were complaining about the, ma- the amount of disposable gloves, but I don't think people are wearing as much of disposable gloves as people did at the beginning because I think sense prevailed and people realised if you were wearing disposable gloves you still had to hand sanitise the disposable gloves so I think people stopped using the gloves and instead got into the washing of the hands and the hand sanitising but disposable masks are certainly being discarded all over the place and you know if somebody does have COVID and they're putting the mask on to protect other people which is the right thing to do but if you then don't dispose of your mask correctly you are going to put other people at risk so that's a that's a good suggestion that you put forward at Christie thank you for that some column in West Cork says Patricia do you not think that all these arbitrary rules around the nine euro compulsory meals the 105 minutes that you can stay in a restaurant or a gastro pub the two metre social distancing the mandatory wearing of masks despite having been told by the World Health Organisation and Dr Fauci that they are counterproductive etc etc is it not all lacking common sense as Colin from West Cork oh, I don't know I wouldn't agree with you that's lacking common sense and I also dispute that Dr Fauci and the World Health Organisation has said the wearing of masks are counterproductive I mean Dr Fauci who I think is incredible He's one of the few men in the States who talks absolute sense. He has been advocating for the wearing of face masks almost from day one. Certainly that he was advocating it before we brought it in as mandatory here in this country. So I don't know if a lot of it is lacking common sense. I mean, certainly when you look down through some of the rules and regulations for the restaurants and the gastropubs and the wet pubs, some of them don't seem to make any sense. And some of them you would kind of say, where's the common sense in all of that? And we have had a few rules and regulations put in place and when they went in they then weren't practical practical, and they weren't manageable and then they had to be changed and that's where as somebody 
the Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Mark McSherry was even saying the rules around the wet pubs it sounds like they were invented or put in place by somebody who's never been in a pub or has never worked in a pub before so I do think you need to speak to the stakeholders as well when you start to introduce these rules to see if they are practical or not and absolutely I'll agree with you that's where they may at times lack common sense but I don't think the wearing of face masks and the social distancing and the hand washing and all of that that is absolutely common sense and something we should all be doing and stay on COVID for a moment. Michael says, we have heard Donald Trump saying that the US will have a vaccine in the next few weeks. Sadly, says Michael, I don't think that's going to happen. A vaccine will not be delivered, certainly prior to the US election day, which is what Donald Trump would certainly love. If there was a vaccine identified tomorrow, one that was safe and effective, the distribution time would be really complex. First of all, all those vaccines, did you realise, I didn't know this, need sub-zero storage. Then it has to be decided who gets the vaccine first. Healthcare workers, the elderly, people in nursing homes, people at risk. It will probably take two years approximately to get everybody vaccinated. That's if we got it here in Ireland in that time. You cannot advocate speed when it comes to a vaccine as obviously safety is paramount. If social distancing declines and people get tired of wearing masks and all of the other precautions that are in place, we will see an acceleration in new cases as we just have seen not alone here in Ireland but in the UK with 1800 plus cases on Saturday alone we have to turn the corner sooner rather than later thanking you says Michael and that's where you we all would worry that complacency would set in and people just get fed up of all of the rules and regulations and then when that happens absolutely watch and wait and see what would happen with the numbers uh, rising and nobody but nobody wants that 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses Supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. This Thursday, the 10th of September, is World Suicide Prevention Day. The Charleville Suicide Awareness Group are asking people to light a candle. And it's in remembrance of all those who passed away and for their families and for their friends. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their lotto draw in Kildallery Community Office. Also on this Thursday, four o'clock in the afternoon, they've got a jackpot of €2,400 this week. And tickets are available from the local outlets. Rock Chapel Penny Dinners Collection will be held in the community centre in Rockchapel next Sunday, September 13th between 10am and 1pm. Items acceptable are cash, perishable goods and home baking. And you please ask to support. As we've been hearing this morning, particularly lobby groups for the country's 3,000 plus wet pubs have given a cautious welcome to what is a 25-page plan which will reveal the so-called wet pubs and how they will operate. And people are saying it's largely on the same lines as those serving food. John has contacted the programme. Uh, good afternoon to you, John. Hello, John, Patricia. Good you're, afternoon. You're a bit concerned about how these soaked wet pubs, as we keep referring to them, um, how they're going to operate. OK. Just to my understanding of what the difference are. Look, there's a lot of people saying it's, it's um, they're nine euro and you can serve away a drink. And there, there, there's a big difference between restaurants and wet pubs. Restaurants, traditionally, in any case, are structure set up with seating. And for a large part, restaurants have moved towards, we'll say, more booking set up, 
Whereas a wet pub is a walk-in. You don't know who will come in or if anyone will come in. Now, in the busier bars, that's different. But also, in terms of seating, the, the wet pubs, it'll depend on their size, whether they'll be able to manage this better or not. Restaurants are set up differently. And that's the primarily difference between the two. Well, I think that's where the criticism of these guidelines is going to come from because the guidelines are saying that the pubs will operate the same as the restaurants in that publicans will be required to record the time and date of the arrival of the customer, take a phone number for the lead person and then time slots will be allocated. Same as the restaurant, one hour, 45 minutes and you must sit at a table. Yes, and and that's... If we think about it, it's the only way that I can operate. If, if, right. Okay, I'm going to have to... Uh, John, your phone line, unless you can stand very still and move slightly, your phone line okay. is breaking up on me. That's better. Okay, go on. Okay. Wet bars, you're drawn towards the bar, are a standing kind of ad hoc. It'll depend. Some some bars will be able to, to have enough seating that they feel that they'll be similar. But the contact tracing is for everybody. That's similar. No government wants to enforce this under duress. It's getting the will of the people to get behind it to protect everybody. And if people don't want to do then that, they're, first of all, they're, they're putting their own health at risk and others more primarily. That's why it's being done. Are you, against, yet, are you against the opening of wet pubs? No, I, I think it is the right thing to do to, to stop a lot of the, the house parties. And by the way, I've no interest in in pubs or, or in, I've no interest in that okay. side of it. I, I don't work in it. I'm a tree surgeon by trade. But they say that the, many are saying that the guidelines are so restrictive that they question whether some pubs will be able to open or not and exactly the point you're making if you've got a smaller pub where you're not what? going to be able to socially distance everybody financially it's not going to be worth the publican's while to open his front door yeah yeah, yeah. That, that may be the case unfortunately we find ourselves and it's not just in Ireland or across the world to have this similar problem and it might not work out for some people for their 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 businesses, they may fail. Mm. And it's not the government's fault. They're not trying to hammer them or trying to spy on them or an ulterior motive. It's primarily for the safety of people by contact keep, tracing. It works. Keep everybody safe. All right, John, listen, thank you for that. Are you busy as a tree surgeon at the moment? The, the storms that came recently were a big help in, in terms of <laughs> work-wise. And look, as long as no one gets hurt, look. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. For my, I'd be one of the few looking for us. Oh, listen, stay safe, John. Thank you for that. Bye bye. Uh, 1850 We've had a couple of concerned mums, by the way, on to us about the back, about going back to school. And actually, I'm interested to hear from people how back to school is going for people. Is everybody happy with the systems that are in place? Is the school operating effectively? Are the rules very restrictive? How are the children reacting to it? Love to hear from you throughout the week. But a lot of, uh, some working people parents have been in contact with us who are concerned over school buses being packed for students travelling in particular 
students going to Bandon and and our Kinsale secondary schools. Now, some of the mothers are telling us that more buses were supposed to have been put onto these routes. However, that hasn't happened. Well, probably hasn't happened as of yet. And we're getting reports in that when the young people get into school, all the measures are in place and the schools are doing everything to keep them safe. But when the young people have to get to and from school on the school bus, the buses are absolutely packed coming as I say, from what we're hearing, it's pupils coming to and from Bandon and Kinsale. Now, we are and have contacted Bus Aaron to try to find out what is going on there because I know a number of weeks ago when it came out that the school buses, social distancing had to go on, Bus Aaron admitted and said, look, we're going to have to put more buses in place. And they did accept that they wouldn't have all of the buses in place for the start of the school year. So they'd start the school year with not social distancing on some of the routes but that eventually social distancing would be in place and they would have enough buses on so I'm assuming that that's what's going on at the moment. Anyway, let us get on to and we await a reply from Bus Aaron on that and as I say, if you've got a story to tell us, let us know 1850-333-103 and a group of young lads, a couple of young lads who definitely have a great story to tell are Joe McCarthy and Sean Gordon who featured on this programme throughout the last four weeks. They arrived home safe to West Cork yesterday and back to Ross Garbury, following them cycling around Ireland and doing the loop for Beata House and the West Cork Rapid response we caught up with them most Fridays as they as they cycled around the country they're two great lads they arrived to the causeway in Roscarbury yesterday afternoon and we sent our Nick Richards to go along to Roscarbury for us on SC103 to find out how the lads were getting on as they returned home I want to ride my Good morning, Patricia. I'm at the Celtic Ross Hotel and they finally made it home. Joe, Sean, how are you feeling? Um, not too bad, surprisingly. I really thought the legs would be struggling at this point, but yeah, I know they're holding up well. Yeah, ah, it's great to just get the bikes and ourselves home in one piece, like, so uh, yeah, it delighted, yeah. 28 days on a bike, that's a long time. Yeah, 28 days continuously, so it was four weeks, um, but uh, it was a brilliant experience. Every bit of it, honestly, was fantastic like have either of you ever done anything on a scale like you've done uh, no nothing at all remotely like this really but um oh, it was brilliant and it'll definitely give you a taste for to do something like it again maybe i said we want to get back on the bikes tomorrow <laughs> honestly yeah we were saying the whole way through it tomorrow's gonna be strange not getting on not traveling along but what about uh, the storms they didn't really get in your way we kind of went on just powered on through and really with storm francis all right now we were um on the way to the giants causeway and uh we're getting a few very, very strange looks. They were, they couldn't understand how we, these two lunatics were on the road. But um, one, ma- one man even offered to drive us 40k to put the bikes in the back of the van. But um, no, and, no, uh, we couldn't. Do you actually know the mileage you've done? Um, it's we haven't calculated exactly, but it's pretty much 2,500 almost on the dot altogether. Two, 2,500 kilometres. Have you any idea how much you've raised? Just the last time I checked anyway, online we'd gotten 7,500, but um, there's people have been very generous here today as well. Just to remind everybody, it was for, or maybe you can tell us, uh, who were you raising money for? Yeah, so it was for West Cork Rapid Response and Pieta House, um, two brilliant charities that we just wanted to get behind and give something back, you know. What were you doing for accommodation? It kind of varied every night. We had no real plan in place for a lot of it a lot of it but a lot of the time it was just kind of go up to the door knock knock on the door ask could we please see, uh, just perch the tent on the lawn or anything and in fairness nearly everyone was just more than welcoming and uh, just very happy to help you 
obviously there was a lot of places you've never visited before. Yeah. One place that sticks in your mind? Yeah, I think like the West Coast is just gorgeous, the whole Wild Atlantic Way, but I suppose Sligo is a county that you'd never have heard much about. And um, just the Glen of Horseshoe Drive there, even just up by Bin Bulbin, was brilliant. Um, the Wicklow Mountains as well were just lovely. We went up Sally's Gap and just down into Glendalough, and it was really, really scenic, really nice. Same questions for both of you. Start with Sean. Worst moment, best moment? Worst moment, probably the knee, I have to say. Just waking up and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to continue on, but I just got back on the bike and then um, yeah, I just kept trucking on. And the best moment? Best moment, I think, I don't know, I think Wicklow Mountains that whole day was fantastic. Yeah, really enjoyed that. I mean, it was one of the first days we'd had with no rain since Galway, so it continued all around the north. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Joe, yourself, worst moment, best moment? Um, the worst moment, uh, to be fair, nothing was too, too bad. Um, I suppose the mechanical issues in the north were uh, were very frustrating when it's, uh, when it's a bike, not yourself, but... Um, here we went in uh, to a great bike shop in um, Belfast in, and he sorted it first. So like it was only four, three or four days that we had uh, issues with him. But uh, no, air. It wasn't that bad relatively. Like there's a, it could be an awful lot worse going on. In fairness. Final question: Would you do it again? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Joe. In a heartbeat. Yeah. It was great. Like really good. Uh, Dr. Jason, you're with the West Cork Rapid Response. What the lads have done is going to be huge help to you. What an achievement. I mean, good. how many thousands of kilometres? that? I mean, I couldn't even cycle 50 kilometres, let alone do that. What the lads have done with the cycle around the coastline of Ireland will allow you to keep going. Oh, absolutely. Keep going and expanding. And we've had an amazing project with Angada Shikona. We've um, right through now, we've got... Um, Pretty much most of the guards in West Cork are now, now trained up to a, a higher standard in first aid. We have defibrillators going out um, um, to guard stations, a whole network now of paramedics and advanced paramedics who work with the HSC. Amazing lads have done such, just mind-boggling the kilometres they've done in only 28 days. Darren, you're representing Pieta House today. What will the efforts of the lads cycling around Ireland, how will it benefit yourself and if I was to put a cost on a person to go through the service in Pieta it would be about a thousand euro to, to put it in where their fundraising efforts will go, will go into the face to face therapy what I will say is that the service is free um, and you don't need a referral to access the service so if anybody out there is in difficulty at the moment don't hesitate to contact us on 1800 247 247 remember it's okay not to be okay and don't hesitate to contact us I want to ride my bicycle I want to and they certainly did ride their bicycles. Well done to Joe McCarthy and Sean uh, Gordon safely back home. And no doubt the two mammies who joined us a couple of weeks ago uh, to have a quick chat with the two lads are looking after them at well. And they're a well-deserved rest uh, today for sure. Thanks to our own Nick Richards who went to Ross Garby for us yesterday to record that piece. And uh, great to hear the likes of Darren from Pieta House and the wonderful Dr. Jason uh, Vandevelt from the West Cork Rapid Response. Uh, amazing people and the work that they are doing but well done to Joe and Sean fundraising so that they can continue the work of the West Cork Rapid Response and the work of Pieta House and just while that clip was on I went on to 
Joe and Sean's fundraising page which is called Doing the Loop. It's a GoFundMe page, Doing the Loop and he said that they yesterday they were up to just almost 7,500. That's gone to 7,885 euro. So it continues to rise and you can donate. Go on to GoFundMe page and it is Doing the Loop and you can get further details of what the lads got up to over the last month, 28 days, cycling the whole loop of Ireland in incredible achievement. Well done guys. You have a credit to yourselves and a credit to your families. 1850 333 103. Let's take a break and we're back with Annalise Drussell, a nutritional therapist, answering all of your questions. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And we're going to Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic answering all of your questions today. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Let's get straight in with questions. Sheila was on to us. She says she's allergic to chocolate and anytime she eats chocolate, she gets an itch, particularly on her legs. Uh, it can get so bad with scratching it that she ends up to the point of the skin bleeding. She's wondering, is there anything she can take to stop her having this craving and this need for chocolate? Because she takes it even though she knows what's going to happen, that she's going to end up with this rash. Chocolate's an interesting one, Patricia, because actually for a lot of people it's a trigger as well for migraines. So there's definitely alkaloids in there that must people must have very difficult time processing. And unfortunately, <laughs> there is probably like n- no other chocolate that's safe, not even the dark chocolate. It's probably nothing to do with the sugar um, and all to do with the cacao that's in the chocolate. So what I'd suggest maybe now, and this is not a healthy option, but go for a packet of jellies. That just gives you the sugar fix, but without any chocolate. Um, Normally for blood sugar balance and to stop sugar cravings, we recommend either um, cinnamon or something called chromium. Chromium is one of the elements, one of the minerals that helps our cells become more sensitive to insulin. So it can work very well for that. Bitter melon is a lovely herb as well. If you can get it in your local health shop, it's a great one for helping to improve cell sensitivity to insulin so it can help reduce sugar cravings and it's great for anybody who's pre-diabetic to help them manage their blood sugars better but in this case if you're craving it's probably a sugar fix stay away from the chocolate because it definitely doesn't agree with you and I think any kind of a reaction like that that itchy reaction it also does create a bit of an adrenaline stress reaction so in the long term you know you'd be still shaky after it mm. um so I think probably avoiding it is the only answer there. Yeah, for sure, yeah. as, as hard as hard as it is. Kay is, as she said, I'm a lady in my 60s. I'm suffering from constipation. What could Annalise suggest? Okay, so when somebody comes into the shop with that problem, Patricia, I go through a whole range of different questions because you could be constipated because you don't have enough fibre in your diet. And also because of the fibre in your diet may not be the right fibre. So there's two types of fibre, insoluble, which kind of forms like a matrix jelly-like substance. Um, sorry, no, that's the soluble fibre. Soluble fibre, which is the jelly um, substance, and that's very good to kind of soften a stool, but it also is very good to bring together a very loose stool if you suffer from diarrhoea. And something like that would be psyllium husk if you wanted to buy it in a health store. But foods that have it would be things like pears, apples, oats, they all have that type of fibre in there. So they can help in terms of um, softening your stool and making it easier to pass. So the 
insoluble fibre is the type of fibre that we don't digest at all. So if you think about a stick of celery, when you pull off that really fibrous, you know, peel off that fibrous fibre, that's the type of fibre that we can't digest. It's very good for the bacteria in our gut. But if you do tend to suffer from constipation, that can kind of back up a little bit and it can actually even make you a bit more constipated. So when you are suffering from that, it might be good to increase the other foods that have the soluble fibre in there instead until you rectify the problem. So the second thing I ask is, are people drinking enough water? Because if you're dehydrated, you'll be constipated. The third thing is exercise. So you do need to be moving your body in order to move your bowels healthily. And then if all of those are tick, yep, no problem. The last reason that you could be constipated is either because you've recently had an antibiotic and you've, you know, imbalanced all the good bacteria, in which case the probiotic will sort it, or it could be a food intolerance. So more people suffer from IBS constipation than they do IBS diarrhea. Um, And the only way to figure that out is maybe get a food intolerance test done. And the way to know if that's the problem would be to say that you've suffered from constipation more or less your whole life then you can pretty much say it's down to a food you're eating. Okay, hi. A question for Annalise, please. My nearly 15-year-old daughter is often lightheaded in the mornings and can take a while to settle her head when she wakes up. She has to sit on the side of the bed, sometimes for about 10 minutes, to get steady. Is this common for teenagers? She does get very heavy periods. She wouldn't be the best eater in the world, but she eats little and often and she eats red meat about twice a week. Could she have a blood sugar issue? Would Annalise suggest I get blood tests done? Any advice? would be most welcome please so the first two things I would rule out before a blood sugar issue would be iron deficiency which would definitely make her very dizzy especially if she has heavy periods and rather than go and get a blood test done you know save the the um, doctor's fee and just buy an iron supplement because it certainly can't do any harm um, to take for a month and if that resolves the issue you'll know then that, that it's probably something that needs to be taken on a semi-regular basis now, when you're choosing an iron supplement, you want one that doesn't constipate you because if, if your stool it becomes constipated or dark black, that's a real sign that you're not absorbing the iron. Um, so go for, there's a couple of lovely brands, but one of my favorite ones is Terra Nova. They do an easy iron and it's very gentle. Nobody has ever come back to me saying that I constipated them and you'll get that in any health store. It's Terra Nova, easy iron, but something similar to that like Viridian do an easy iron as well there's a few different brands out there so that's the first thing to to try the second big reason that someone could be dizzy in the morning is low blood pressure now if you'd low blood pressure also if you spend time sitting for a long time when you'd get up you might get kind of silvery dizzy stars dizzy spots in front of your eyes um or if you kind of put your head down and then stood up quickly and felt dizzy that can be a real sign of low blood pressure and it'd be worse in the morning because you've been lying down all night. So when you wake up in the morning, it takes a while for the blood to get back up to the head again. So if it's low blood pressure, taking a licorice supplement can help or eating good quality licorice or drinking licorice tea. That can help elevate the blood pressure, but that's very easy to get checked um, with a blood pressure monitor. Even if you pop into your local pharmacy, they should have a blood pressure monitor and should be able to check it very quickly. So I'd rule out those two things first before going for a blood sugar test. Okay, Pat says, hi Patricia, what would, would, could Annalise suggest a supplement that might help with balance? I'm in my early 60s and I've noticed I'm tripping and my balance seems to be bad. I don't have any underlying health condition except for borderline underactive thyroid. 
Okay, so that's a real puzzle now one, Patricia, and that would be one that you'd have to try a few things to see would it work first. One of the reasons that you might be losing your balance is there might be some inflammation in the inner ear canals that are responsible for our balance. And there's a very common virus that people get. It's it's a relative of the flu virus. It's called vertigo. And it does affect the inner ear. And for a lot of people, they would have affected balance. They'd feel dizzy. They'd feel sick because it's almost like being seasick. You know, your balance has been affected so much you feel Mm. nauseous. Um, And then for some people, that can result in tinnitus or ongoing problems with balance. Um, So they may have no other symptoms except balance issues. And then some people get so bad vertigo that they actually can't even sit up and they have violent nausea all the time. So it might be worth taking um, just as an experiment if you could get an over-the-counter travel sickness pill that that can help because that can help with the inner ear canal. There is a great supplement that I um, had success with here in the shop and um, unfortunately they're no longer making it so I've stocked up on what it's called... um, age loss hearing support and again it works on any inflammation on the inner ear Um, and I stocked up because they've stopped making it now so when it's gone it's gone but I did have very good success with that for people with balance issues and vertigo so that would be another one to try. Okay, hi, um, Annelise. What would you recommend for somebody who has been on Cetraline, an anxiety med for the last six months and now coming off them? Okay, so um, there's a couple of things that work very well, actually, and work very well very quickly for anxiety. The first one I think I'd recommend is the soil, or it's also called CBD oil. And um, it can work very, very quickly, and it just takes the edge off. So if you feel, if you wake up in the morning, you feel you're having a bad day for anxiety, you just would take it preemptively. Um, But if you do feel anxiety starting to build, you can take it then again as well. Um, and actually, I'm getting very good feedback on the CBD oil for a variety of different health reasons in the shop. The one that I like to recommend is the Cannabi Gold um, because there's so many different brands out on the market at the moment. And the particular one is the middle strength one, which is a thousand milligrams. And the reason is I've just seen it work better, Patricia, with people with anxiety and sleep issues. And I think it's because it has a higher level of one of the cannabinoids called CBDA in it than other ones on the market. So if you can get your hands on the Cannabi Gold 1000 milligrams, that's definitely something you could try. You can start taking it now while you're in the process of weaning yourself to citrulline. Other things that help always, um, things like Passiflora is very good. Melissa, which is also called Lemon Balm. These are herbs that are naturally um, calming and anti-anxiety. L-theanine, which is spelt with a capital L, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. That's another great one that works very quickly. So it can help with calm and focus. After about 10, 15 minutes, you'll feel the benefit of it. And then a herb to take in the long term for anxiety is one called ashwagandha. And again, this is one I've gotten great feedback over the years in the shop. Uh, A lot of people would take it for stress-related anxiety, and it works very well for that. And that is spelled ashwagandha, A-S-H-W-A-G-H-A-N-D-A. And they should have that in any good health store. And with everything that's been going on with COVID, breather, you're not on your own. There was a lot of people I think ended up on and on anxiety meds just for the world in which we're living in at the moment. Okay, is there a good supplement? As another listener, containing all of the following: magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, B vitamins, and isoflavins. Is there one supplement that has them all? No, 
just off the top <laughs> of my head, Patricia. But a good multi will have all of them except for the isoflavones. So okay. And even even a, a bog standard multivitamin. So you could take that and then the isoflavones would cut it down to two tablets a day. Is is it true that eggs are bad for a prostate in a man? Asks John. No, I don't. Can't see how possibly they would be bad. Um, eggs, I think, are just they're kind of the jewels in a shell. They're so good for many things. Um, they're full of protein. They're low in fat. The phospholipids in the egg yolk are wonderful for your skin and for for your your hormones. Um, they're great in terms of a weight loss. Uh, program because they keep you feeling full. Uh, the only thing I'd say is make sure you get a good quality egg and ideally from chickens that are outside because unfortunately the battery hens, the poor old chickens. Um, they don't have a great eat, life. They, and they don't have a great diet. So yeah. like it's, you know, I don't think there's, there would be a lot of good vitamins and minerals in those eggs. So pay a little bit more for eggs. And I can't see how they'd be bad for pros- prostate Um especially if they're if they're good quality organic there's no reason they should be bad okay and Mary wants to know can she take devil claw ointment while taking a blood pressure tablet can I take devil claw yep ointment? should be yeah. fine with the blood pressure tablet devil's claw is great for arthritis um, you can put it on the skin no problem and you can also could take it internally on a blood pressure however you should not take it if you're on a blood dinner Okay. it also pins alright we leave it there have a lovely week thanks Patricia we'll chat next Monday that is uh, the wonderful and informative Annalise Trissat of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic and uh, we'll have a podcast of that particular slot we'll go up on C103 during the course of the afternoon that's where I leave you for today my thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara and to Sadie for answering the phones today thank Thank you to everyone who has has congratulated us on our nomination for the Radio Award. We appreciate it. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. I'm Patricia Messenger. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.